Today we're going to continue to look into the things that Jesus told us that were a little unusual, controversial, and maybe they're the type of things that made you uncomfortable. And I, I love this series because always when you have a question about what you should do, what, how you should think, how you should respond in life, it's always a good idea to go, hey, what did Jesus think about this? And uh, we don't do that enough as Christians. Like, we, we think about, like, well, we are Christians. Like, that means little Christ. It means, you know, we follow Jesus. But sometimes we don't really look at Jesus as closely as we ought to. It's kind of weird. But today, we're going to look at Jesus. This is all the words of Jesus. And it's kind of one of those, like, you know, last week we talked about... <coughs> You know, give, what to, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, give unto God what is God's. And it was kind of that message of what belongs to God and so forth. Well, you know what? This one is going to be a, 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 a same kind of message. It's a revolutionary message. But this one, instead of an external type of a thing where Jesus answered in a revolutionary way, um, this one is going to be revolutionary in terms of, you know, what God is going to do in your heart. And I'm here to tell you today, this is going to um, just, let me start off by saying that some of you guys have been taught wrong about an issue. And you've been taught, um, maybe, maybe it's not an intentional teaching, but, but in teaching about uh, this subject, uh, I think sometimes, and this is true with me growing up, uh, all my well-intentioned pastors, all my well-intentioned teachers, they kind of missed a real key component for me in a biblical understanding of this topic, which is forgiveness. And the topic isn't forgiveness as in the person next to you. The topic isn't forgiveness as in somebody, like a family member or anything. The topic is forgiveness as it relates to you, your forgiveness. And I really think that you, there's a miss, and there maybe is a dark spot in this whole view, theologically, that you might have about forgiveness as it relates to you. And so uh, let's just dive into it, okay? Um, let, let's pray first. I really, I really feel like we should um, give God this moment and really um, ask him to take over the words and the anointing and so forth. So, Jesus, I just really place before you this very serious topic of forgiveness and those that are struggling with a feeling as if they are not forgiven or uh, those that, that feel that they are forgiven but just feel dirty, clean, unclean, guilty, in general, just far from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's a serious message. I want to start with a serious question. And I want you to kind of ponder it for a second. This is the question, are you struggling? Are you struggling to forgive yourself? Are you struggling to forgive yourself? Is there something in the back of your mind, in the recesses of your heart, deep down, that when you go there, when you start to think about it, just even the edges of thinking about it, even the very, the very like precipice of thinking about it, then it freaks you out. You begin to panic. Because you don't even want to think about what you did. You know, it was like, maybe it's something for you. It was just totally out of character. It was in a moment, an argument with somebody, and you blew up. You began to get, you began to rage, and that's not you. And you said things that as they were coming out of your mouth, you thought, that, how did I even say that? I don't even say those words. I don't mean what I'm saying, but I'm saying them. And so you reel them back in, and then it becomes this deep wound, this hurt. You may have said them to somebody that forgave you of those things, and you may have asked God to forgive you, but deep down inside, you still hold on to them. And you're like, wow, that isn't me. That's terrible. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. Maybe for some of you, it's, um, it's a sexual sin. It's a, uh, it's a deep kind of like a, 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 a past that grew out of, uh, out of a family situation. It was broken and, and um, 
was, was absolutely not what it should be in Christ and you did some things that you weren't proud of. And out of that, you, you did what all you knew how to do and you learned how to sin and you learned how to sin really well and you were apart from Christ and, and you gave in to your fleshly desires and you, you did terrible things, things that you wouldn't even want to go there today, not thinking about them, not even, not even like turning that part of your brain on. And, and so it's a very, this is pushing you into a very uncomfortable place even just talking about these things because we all have those corners in our lives that we don't wish to shine the light on. Um, they're, they're forgiven and we believe that that, uh, but we still, it's, they're a memory. It's a powerful, powerful memory. memory. And when we, when we begin to think about those things, they haunt us. And it beca- begins to be an area in which uh, we, we struggle to, uh, to forgive ourselves. It's, it's kind of a haunting of the past. Well, what's the downside to all of this? Could you just say, well, that's part of the human experience? You know, hey, everybody does it, everybody has that, and so let's just kind of acknowledge that it's there, acknowledge those dark spaces, and then maybe what we just need to do is sort of move on. Maybe what we just need to do is just kind of pretend it didn't happen, um, say, hey, God's forgiven us, and let's just, let's just march forward as if uh, it, it never occurred. In other words, it's kind of the whole tamp it down thing, like just tamp it down, just tamp those things down, move on, you know, let's just, just journal about it a little bit, and then get move forward. But the problem is, is that um, you might be doing yourself some damage, and how, how would you even know? Let me ask you some questions. And uh, are you reliving this thing that you've done? How, do you ever stop and just relive it and just think about it? And does it become a part of you? Uh, does, is this is this unforgiven area where I'm talking about you haven't forgiven yourself? You know, God has that you haven't in Christ, but it affects your decisions. You know, uh, you're not taking those kind of healthy risks that you might have because you're making decisions based upon this hurt and this experience. You, you feel absolutely paralyzed by it. You just can't move on. You, you, the past, that haunting thing, it just, it's something that as you, try to, as you be, try to believe in yourself and you try to get enough you know, like motivation to do something, you just kind of think, well, I'm dirty, I'm broken, I'm bad, I'm sinful. And, and it's just this thing in your past and it just keeps pushing forward and it wants to emerge and you just keep saying, no, 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 that wasn't me, I can't. But it, it's paralyzing. Maybe, maybe you've gone full on abusing yourself verbally and you just make that little game inside of you that's like, I'm stupid. I'm a failure, I'm, I'm dirty, I'm a bad guy, I'm a bad girl, I'm a dirty girl, I'm a dirty guy, I'm, I'm not worthy in Christ. And maybe you just literally beat yourself up verbally, internally. You make yourself feel unworthy and quietly in the recesses of your heart, you begin to accuse yourself. And even though Jesus shows up and he says, I love you, I'm forgiving you and all of that, you just, you're just like, no, 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 no. You argue against yourself and you become an advocate with the enemy, telling lies about yourself. And it, when you do that, you just kind of spiral into this place of despair. And I know I'd love to you know, be in a happy place right now and tell you that there's a happy message coming, and, and there is. But right now I want you to focus on the truth of what you're leaning into, and that is this very dark place. Um, you know, you, you don't even try to make things better. You tried for a while, you read a self-help book, you bought some stuff, you listened to some good music, there was this really great song and it made you feel better. But you just kind of deep down believe that you don't deserve to feel better. You don't deserve to have things in life be better, to be better. And the, the external result of it is, is that you can't even really forgive those around you because you haven't forgiven yourself. It's impossible for you to look in the face of somebody that has hurt you and wounded you and say, I've forgiven, I forgive you completely. And then when you look in yourself and you're like, yeah, I'm just as bad. I'm, I'm just as wicked. You know, and, and 
this thing, whatever it is, you know what it is, and you can't forgive yourself for it. And I want to talk about that today. Because I really believe, as t- and, and this is just coming from experience as a pastor, is that this is an issue that a lot of Christians walk through day by day. And we never hear a message about it, and we never lean into it in the pulpit, and we never want to talk about these dark things because they're dark. A Christian once asked me, um, I know that God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself and feel forgiven. I, in other words, I tried everything I can, every pithy little saying, everything that I can, but I can't feel forgiven. But before we get deeper into this idea, before we go further with this, I want us to stop for a minute and pause, let's step back, and I want to ask a really important question. And we need to do this because we have to establish one thing, and that is this, this question of authority. Uh, I know authority is not very popular today. It's not popular um, in younger generations. It's not popular really with America in general right now. But, but this is the issue of authority. And the question is this. Who is the ultimate judge of all things? Who is, who is the ultimate judge? I mean, like the Supreme Court. Who is the judge that is the highest authority over all things? You know, that, um, that what he says goes what, what is this ultimate authority? And of course, as a Christian, I think you, you're going to bounce right to this answer as I would, just giving the proper theological answer, and that is that Jesus is the ultimate judge of all things. Uh, and as we look at John chapter 5 today, we're going to be in that chapter for a moment, and I want us to just begin to see uh, Jesus operate in answering this question, uh, who is the ultimate judge of all things? Let's, let's go to the setting. The setting is the sheep gate in Jerusalem, and Jesus is passing by with his disciples. Uh, when is it happening? It's happening on the Sabbath. Okay, so right away, just have to picture that it's happening. Now, for us, you know, doing something on a Sunday is not that big of a deal. But back in this day, uh, this was a very religious, external, uh, Jewish, Orthodox culture, right? And to do something on the Sabbath would have caught the attention of all these religious people. And you'll see that it causes a big stir, what he does. So he finally, he walks by a man who's been unable to walk for, the Bible says, 38 years. He says, um, Jesus does to him, like, hey, do you, you want to get healed? And I'm sure he might have had like a duh look on his face, but he's been there for 38 years. So like many people that, you know, uh, might, might be in a situation where their body doesn't work as, they, as it should or there's something going on, you, you learn how to adapt maybe and just live with it and accept it. And maybe in the accepting of it, you find a richer understanding of yourself. So it's a, you know, I don't know what his mindset was, but after 38 years, you know, he just said, hey, I don't have anybody to carry me in the water. And Jesus kind of does this interesting thing. <coughs> he doesn't respond directly to that guy's concerns. He just basically says, well, pick up your mat and walk. Just do it, you know, man, get, grab that mat and go. And, and it's kind of like, you know, just get, get on with it. And, and so he's immediately healed, this guy is. And then Jesus in, in, in verse 14 says, see, you are well. You are well. And then he, he takes it a little bit further. He says, go and sin no more. You're well, not just in body, but in spirit. Not, you're not just well in a physical sense. You're well in, in, a, in the sense that you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. And he goes, and he's really excited. He goes, starts telling everybody about it. And you'd think that people would be super excited, and I'm sure there were some that were like, hey, man, I'm really happy for you. But the, the Pharisees, they're really ultra-religious folks. You know, they were, they were ticked off. 
They, they said, hey, dude, you should not be carrying your bed on the Sabbath. Now, imagine the kind of twisted thinking that would cause somebody to say that, right? A guy has been on, like, crippled for, for 38 years, and then all of a sudden, he's walking around, and, and the Pharisees, they don't catch him and go, wow, that is great. I'm really happy for you. This looks like a great new chapter in your life. Like, I can't believe this. Tell me how it felt. Like, it must be exciting. None of that. It was just that you are violating this, this rule about carrying your bed on the Sabbath, all right? Uh, you know, like we, we can't really relate to that level of religiosity, but we express it in other ways here in America. We have all sorts of like, and especially in the kind of fun, the people that take the fun out of fundamentalism, right? They, uh, they are the people that, you know, ha- love to operate in a big set of rules. And we sometimes will lean into this hyper-religiosity where we'll look at miracles and things like that that God is doing, but then we'll try to break it down and understand it in terms of, uh, a, 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 you know, a physical thing. And so they're saying, hey, Hey, that's, that's great and all, but you shouldn't be carrying your bed on the Sabbath. And they were actually really angry in verse 18. It says this was why the Jews were seeking all the more. This actually just added to their arsenal, to their, all, you know, to their ammunition. They wanted to kill him because uh, he, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And for those of you guys that think Jesus is just a nice teacher, he just said a few you know, beautiful, pithy things, but you know, he never really made any claims about himself. Well, you know, the Bible sort of refutes that in many ways, all over the place actually, because Jesus said, uh, I'm God. And that's what they were angry with him about. In fact, that's what they crucified him for. You know? And there were various teachers out there that were really diverse and happening all over um, Israel and uh, in Judea. But, but Jesus was one of them, but he also was one saying that I, I'm God. And that really ticked them off. And in response to this, in response to them getting angry, he says something pretty radical. And here he begins to establish this idea of authority and where his authority comes from. And this is so important to understand in this issue of forgiveness. You really need to understand the words of Jesus here because he begins to say what his place is in the order of all things um, judicial and, and what, who has given him the authority. Let's start way back in verse 19. And go forward. I'm going to go all the way to 24. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, when you whenever Jesus says that, you incline an ear, lean in, okay, because he's about to say something important. The son can do nothing of his own accord. I have emptied myself. I have come to earth. But only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. They're unified. And uh, so in verse 20, he says, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one but has given all judgment to who? To the son, to Jesus. He's saying, the father has given me all judgment. That's incredible. Think about that. Verse 23, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Radical claims. You can just see them like seething angry, gnashing at the teeth. This is blasphemy. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever hears my word, let me stop for a second. The word, the word for word in this, in the Greek is logos. Logos is the Greek word for discourse. You know, if you think about philosophy, you, you kind of see, anytime you see the logos, like geology is the study of the, the, the discourse or the understanding of the system of those things, the teaching of it. So it's not just the words that are coming out of his mouth. It's his whole teaching. It's his system. It's gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He's talking about all of that. Whoever hears my gospel and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So Jesus is establishing the fact that he is the ultimate authority of all things, that he, that no one can judge except for the Father has given him the right and the authority to judge. And then whoever believes in him, the gospel message um, that he was, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again from the dead, um, it, it will have eternal life. And so that, he says, I'm the final authority. Uh, There is no higher authority. I'm the supreme, supreme, supreme court. Forgiveness, eternal life are a result of believing in this gospel. And so, in other words, that through the death of Jesus on the cross, for those who believe, God is forgiven. Everything you have ever done, everything that you will do, completely, 100% forgiven. And if you're saying to yourself, Jesus has forgiven me, that I know, but I have not forgiven myself. What you're saying is that there is another court in which this case is being tried. And you are sitting on the seat as judge. You are judging yourself. You, it can actually sound very spiritual, right? Well, Jesus has forgiven me, but I'm still working on it. I can't forgive myself. It sounds very spiritual. And it sounds like, well, I'm just wrestling at a deeper level with, you know, Jesus is forgiven. But that's, that's one thing. But man, I, I, I'm also an authority and I have to, you know, f- listen. That, and here's the thing. It can sound very spiritual, but it's actually very ungodly to say that. It's very ungodly to say it. Jesus, you're, you're saying, I know, I know that you've forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Jesus answered, I died for you. What else do you want me to do? What else do you want me to add? Is there anything that you can add? Is there something that you can do that's beyond the gospel? Is there something that you can do to redeem yourself, to forgive yourself? Who are, who are you in the chain of authority? And the answer is, is that all authority to forgive sins, all authority is given to God himself. So when you're saying, I can't forgive myself, you're really saying that there is another court that you are sitting in the authority on your own. If we owe, and here's the thing, if we owe an infinite debt, and God paid an infinite price, then when we try to contribute something to that, then it's highly disrespectful to God. And so here's the thing. I don't think that you are struggling to forgive yourself. I think you're struggling to accept God's forgiveness for you. Because you cannot forgive yourself. You cannot forgive sins. You don't have that authority. And here is the thing. I realize now, as we're gonna move forward to this, This is a proper theological understanding, but it's it's still very common to feel forgiven, to know you're forgiven, but in your head, you know theologically that it's true. You're saying like, okay, Pastor Scott, I get it, that Jesus has forgiven me, that I don't have authority to forgive myself, but I still, I feel so dirty at the same time over this thing that you were talking about. Another thing is like, I don't feel really free about it. I don't feel that I can live this new life that Jesus has given me. He's dropped this me into this world and he's given me a purpose, but I don't feel like I'm living freely in it. And it makes, you hard, it makes it really hard for you to move on because there's that thing that keeps coming into your life and pulling you back and, and grabbing your attention and making you uh, feel very 
dirty. But here's where I want to talk to you about uh, where you might be missing something theologically. In order to do that, I need to lean in. We need to do a little 30,000-foot level, big-picture theology. And the best way to do that is to do big words, right? And I, you know, I, you come to Canyon Creek Church, every once in a while, we love to drop down the big words. And the reason that they're great is because they sort of, it takes a big word sometimes to understand uh, big theology. And so this is, these are two words that are used in conjunction with each other to describe God's salvation in your life, okay? The very first word is this big word called propitiation. Propitiation. The idea behind propitiation is that God is a perfect holy God and that all of our sin, all of us have sinned, is an offense to him. And in in the offense to God, that there must be justice. In other words, that God's wrath has to be poured out against the sin. All sin is an offense to God, and that it requires that that there be a penalty of death paid uh, to that sin, and that God will pour out his wrath upon it, his anger upon sin. Many of us don't like to think of sin that way. We don't think of sin as being, we want to sweep it away. We want justice for others, but we want mercy for ourselves. And when it comes to our sin, we don't want to look at it face to face and believe that there is this strong penalty to be paid, but the idea behind propitiation is that Jesus stood in our place and he absorbed the wrath of God for the forgiveness of our sins. He was the spotless, sinless son of God, and as he died on the cross for you, he absorbed God's wrath for you, so that the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 then that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that there was this exchange where God took our sin and, and Jesus covered it. And so in so doing, uh, he absorbed the wrath of God. And that's propitiation. It's the, for the forgiveness of your sins. But there's another aspect to the death of Jesus Christ, and that is it was, it was an expiation. And expiation is the other side of it, and that is that there's a cleansing that happens, that there's a cleaning that happens, that Jesus died on the cross to make us clean. And some Christians, they know that they're forgiven, but they don't know that they're clean. So you feel forgiven, condemned, shameful, dirty, because you're forgiven, but you don't know that you're clean. Expiation means to clean. Great verse for this, and you can commit this to memory. I challenge you to do that. It's 1 John 1, 9. I'm sure you've heard this verse, but you maybe never seen it in conjunction with these two big words. Propitiation, God died to forgive us for our sins. The expiation, God died to make us clean. Let's look at 1 John 1, 9. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us. You're with me. Good. Yeah, forgive us our sins. And then to what? Though to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the other part of it is that he forgives, but he also wants to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're forgiven, but you're also clean in Christ. In the Old Testament, there's powerful images about this. If you've ever kind of read the Old Testament, you're wondering like, what is all the washing going on? Especially when you're sort of reading the first five books of the Bible and you realize there's a lot of ritual cleansing cleansing that, you know, before the priests were allowed to touch a certain artifact or ritual object, they would have to bathe and wash their hands and then put on the, you know, whitest clothes. There was all this obsession with white. What is that all about? Why the white sheep? Why else all this idea of cleanness? What is the Old Testament obsession with cleanness? Why is it that they want to take and clean their houses before Passover, get all the leaven out of the house? What is the obsession with cleanness? And the idea really is in the entire Old Testament 
that we ritually wash ourselves, clean ourselves, it all shows and all serves to show that Jesus is coming to make us clean, to not only forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every assault victim that we've ever worked with here at Canyon Creek Church always says the same thing, that the moment that the assault happened, once it was done, once it was finished, the very first thing that people will want to do after that happens is to do what? They want to take a shower. They want to clean themselves. They will grab bars of soap and for hours and hours and hours physically clean themselves. Why is that? Because there's a desire for cleansing at a deeper level at the soul level, and all they understand is the body, but they need both. They need cleansing at the soul and the body. And if you have a hard time recognizing God's forgiveness, it's because you under, don't understand that you are clean, that you are clean. I remember um, a young lady came in to see me, and we were doing pre-marriage counseling, and this person's not in the church here, so don't worry about who it is. Um, but this was many, many years ago. And she began to tell this story. She said she was very concerned about, uh, she had purchased a wedding dress, and it started off with, like, she was really obsessed with the color of the dress. And was like, well, tell me more about where you're coming from. And, and she began to tell her story. It kind of uh, took a, a bit, but we, we drew it out, and here, here's the story this young, young woman told. And she said, you know, back when I was a little little girl. I was 12 years old. My parents had separated many, many years before that. My mother remarried and um, she married the stepfather. Stepfather, um, as I was 12, 13 years old, just becoming a young lady, um, he, he would crawl into bed with me. He would do things to me. And, um, and, and so I, I was terrified and I lived in fear and just felt like a dirty girl. My, my whole, so then, um, that, that man fortunately went out of her life, but as those wounds, those scars uh, don't, don't heal easily, and, and they never do, as a matter of fact, um, they, they, her life began to spiral into this issue where she began to sexually act out, and she did some terrible things, and her, and her whole life just began this, uh, this uh, promiscuous uh, spiraling out of control until she finally, at about age 18, 19, gave her heart to Jesus, and it was a powerful moment where she was radically transformed she, uh, she was like one day she was just at the edge of suicide and then the next day she was lit up on fire for Jesus and here she was, she had found this really wonderful man. They were, he was a student at Bible college and she wanted to get married to him and they, they had a great engagement, got married, but she was really struggling. She, she finally said, I just feel like it's, I still feel like a dirty girl and sometimes I just, she says, she says am, am I supposed to wear white? Am I supposed to wear white at my wedding? And I said, absolutely. You, you, you not only should, you, you must wear white because that's how Jesus sees you. He sees you as clean. And so he sees you as clean because that's what he has done. He has died not only to forgive you of your sins, but to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And what the enemy will want to do, because he is the father of lies, and all he does is lie, 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 is he wants you to build your identity on what you have done, on what has happened in the past, to build your identity on what he thinks of you, not on what Jesus sees in you, not on what Jesus has done and what is true. He will want you to build your identity on this, this painful experience that you've had. I want you to hear that. I want you to receive that. And I hope that it's a healing to you. And I hope that in your soul, you absolutely, just let that sink in, that you are not just forgiven, but in Christ, you are clean, as white as snow. 
He doesn't look at you and see the old things that you have done, the, 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 the things that you're ashamed of, those things in the dark recesses of your life. He, he literally wants to see you as pure and white. And I, and I pray that that is a healing moment for you that the way God sees you is so much different. The, the Bible says that the enemy prowls around devouring whom he wants, and he does that through lying. He does that through deceiving and twisting God's word, tearing at it, half-truths. And in your life, you might be saying like, hey, you, Pastor Scott, you still don't understand what I did. It was serious. Like, I, you know, I hurt somebody really badly. You know, I, I, I tore a family apart. I, I, I said some things that I could never take back. I, I've done some terrible stuff. I acted out in ways that were dangerous, that got, could have gotten me killed, that could have gotten me pregnant, could have gotten me. I have, I have acted out in ways that you just wouldn't ever want. And, and I'm here to tell you that if you have been forgiven by Jesus, if you have, are walking with Jesus, if you have asked for forgiveness, but you still, and those things keep coming up, I want you to see that God wants to clean you. He has cleaned you in Christ. And you need to begin to see that you are walking in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Here's an exercise for you as we close. I want you to do this. If this is you, and I, I really believe there are some people in here and this, you, you honestly have never heard of this before. You've never heard of the idea that you're both forgiven but also clean. I want you to do this. Go home today. And I, I only trust you to take this seriously as God is moving in your heart, as he's right now speaking to you. And I want you to begin to write a list on a left side of a sheet of paper, just with a clean sheet of paper, with a pencil, all the things that you keep telling yourself that you know are not true. All of the things that you might be saying like, I'm dirty, I'm weak, I'm stupid, I'm a loser, I'm a failure. And I want you to write those things down on the, on the left side of the sheet of paper. Then I want you to draw a line. And on the right side of the sheet of paper, I want you to begin to go into God's word and see the truth of how he really feels for you and write those things down. Write down scripture and write down that you are loved and write down that you are forgiven. Write down that you are accepted, that you are more than a conqueror, that he loves you with an everlasting love. I want you to write those things down and I want you to see how different they are. Then which side are you gonna believe? Who is the ultimate authority? Is it you or is it Jesus? And then I want you to pray this. I want you to pray, Lord, let me walk in the truth of how, who you think I am. Lord, give me the power to walk in the truth of who you think I am. Not who I think I am, not who the enemy says I am, but in the truth of who you think I am. And that through that lens, that you would begin to see me as white as snow, that you would begin to walk in the truth of that. And it is so freeing, so liberating, so, I mean, you will have a new day in Christ as you realize you are not just forgiven, but you are clean in Jesus Christ. Church, hear me. I really want you to know this. And I want you to accept it and believe it because it is true in God's word. Satan is the father of lies. It's all he ever will do to you. But the truth will absolutely set you free in this regard. And I want us to pray together. In just a few moments, I want to, uh, Nicole to lead us in another song. Then as we do, 
Maybe you just want to begin to acknowledge those lies that you're telling yourself that, oh my gosh, you know, I have been my own judge. I have been my own jury, my own executioner. I am, I am sabotaging my life because I can't move past this thing. I feel dirty. Yes, I know that God has forgiven me. I know the truth of it, but I feel really dirty and defeated because you know you're forgiven, but you don't know that you're clean. I want to leave you with Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12. I want you to hear this. You really need to hear this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. The idea is is it's impossible to connect them. It's impossible to connect the, the west from the east. It's impossible. You can't do it. As hard as you try, the ultimate authority has paid the price. He has paid an infinite price, the ultimate price for you on the cross. There's no room. There's nothing for you to add. You don't add to your salvation. You don't add to your cleaning. He's done it for you. And I want you to see yourself as a spotless bride wearing white. Yes, guys, even you see yourself as a spotless bride. Could you please stand on your feet? I want us to all stand. Nicole, would you lead us in a song? And as you do, I even want to say this. Like, I don't normally do this, but if you guys want to even come forward, if you want me to pray for you, if you just want to come forward and pray with somebody, maybe a friend, just come on forward, you guys. We can fill this place up or you can pray at your seats, whatever you feel comfortable at, but don't let this moment slip by. If honestly, if God is speaking to you, this isn't a manipulation moment. I'm not going to make you do anything, but, I, I, but acknowledge and know when it's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Do you know 